0: Welcome to the United Podcast. David May and I are sat in the lovely suite that you, we've been using lately for podcasts. There is no Helen Evans because she is on holiday. Another holiday. Does any? Did, where did she go? I think she's back home, is she? Belfast? Oh, she's in Belfast. Uh, no, no, she's off no.
1: She's in the sun to Johnny.
0: She's gone somewhere in the sunshine with, I imagine, full-size Johnny Evans and also the tiny little oh, bobblehead Johnny Evans that she yeah. keeps in her bag.
1: And as we're talking about this, Johnny scored last night, was it? He scored? Uh, yeah, he scored the equaliser in the 94th minute against...
0: Don't know. Well, we've been paying a lot. I think we've proved that we've not paid quite enough attention to the Evans yes. family right now. Yeah. But yeah. some. So that's fine. I think Tasker's going to find out what happened Cyprus. and we'll update you. Oh, two, two
1: against Cyprus, Cyprus 94th, 94th minute. Johnny Evans.
0: And Paddy McNair scored. Yeah, I saw Paddy He scored like their 800th goal or something. I saw that the other day. Again, not 100% that that's the case but certainly he did well, score. Anyway, she's not here. She's, yeah, that's the, uh, she's on her joys. <laughs> that's what we were getting to. Helen isn't here. Uh, and I think she'll be good because we have got, I think, a sensational guest.
1: It's not often we get a 68 winner on the podcast. No. Nope. And today we have got the man of the match of the 1968 podcast. Yeah. I can't wait for this.
0: And not just that. No, hang, on, hang on, we've not got the winner of the 1968 podcast. Is that what I said? I <laughs> know oh, No, the Man of the Match of the... 1968
1: podcast. Oh, said. f***. That's Danish? Yeah. That yeah. Um, yes, it's not often we get a 1968 European Cup winner. And uh, today we have actually got the 1968 Man of the Match European Cup winner. Yes, we
0: do. And also, his dad played here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not often you get father and son to play for Manchester United. But... Um, yeah, I can't wait to
0: to do this. It's it's been a long time since we've had a player from this era, and I'm just speaking for myself, and I know Tasker feels the same, and other people I've spoken to, they love these ones so much because if we speak to players from, say, your era, Maisie, you can go online, you can find yeah. out the stats, you can go on YouTube, watch some highlights, but everything we're going to get today, pretty much, will be will only exist in John's head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Unique. That's it. Is a word, Sam. Yeah. Unique. Lovely word. All right. Should we get into it? Here's John Aston.
1: Junior.
2: Junior. John Aston, welcome to United Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here at Old Trafford. Of course, so many memories for me. The place looks rather different than when I used to play here, but uh, it's good to be here. How often do you get to come here? Very, very rarely. Um, I went into a business that really meant me uh, working on Saturdays and working at weekends. And it wasn't a case of falling out of love with anything, the game or anything like that, but it was circumstances. So my visits here are few and far between, um, but it's always, very, it's always very nice to be here. When was the last time you were here? I came a couple of games last season. Um, I got invited and uh, I'm a big f- friend of uh, Jimmy Ryan who was uh, on the staff here. And Jimmy's a smashing lad and um, he used to invite me down. Um, it didn't cost him anything, which is really good for Jimmy, you know, <laughs> he's a bit like that, uh, so <laughs> anyway, um, you know, he's a good lad. I was at Luton town with him as well. And actually I used to stay, when I was at Luton, I used to stay with uh, Jimmy and his wife and um, and they looked after me while I was down there and we're still very good friends. Well, that's lovely. Um, you say the business you got into, mm-hmm. you have a pet shop, right? Well, I did, of course. I'm past retirement age now, just I'll be 75 at the end of this month. So um, I went into a family business, which was a very big business. It, I wasn't part of the big business, but I was a little offshoot and uh, and it, I'd seen when players retire in, um, a lot of them, of course, we, we we have no manual skills as such, or most of us don't. And it was a, it was a sort of a case of get a pub and stuff like that, and I didn't fancy doing that. So I went into something um, that I thought would suit me better.
0: Yeah, I read a I read a bit about it. Is it I can't
2: remember? Was the history? Was it your uncle? Uncle had uh, he, he ended up with all. Between thirty-five and forty shops, spreading from the south of Scotland to the Midlands, and he became quite a, well, I suppose, a multi-millionaire through through business dealings. And uh, he took me under his wing and showed me the ropes, and um, then set me free on my own. Well, that's lovely. Um,
0: first thing I want to ask is because obviously your dad played for Manchester United, yeah, yep. John Aston Senior. That's correct. So, do we call you John Aston Junior or John Junior or?
2: Junior? It's called, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been called a lot worse. I've been called a lot worse than all those yeah. things. And you can call me John or, or John Junior. I'd like to make a little point about my dad. if Please. If yeah, I mean, yeah. Because it, it's while it's in my mind. I think football started, give or take, a year or two, about 1880. My dad and myself are the only father and son ever to win the league. Championship with the same club. I think there's been two others... And one of the two are the Schmeichels, of course, who we, yes. I think yeah. the others was in the 20s and 30s. So I get people who give me questions in a pub or whatever, you know, hey, do you know this about football? I always give them that question. Nobody ever knows it, but it's something that I'm very proud of.
0: That is absolutely amazing. Mm. Did you know that? I didn't. That's a very, very good uh,
1: good quiz question. It's yeah, oh, a great one, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Where did your love of football come from? Came from my dad. Um, obviously. Yeah, uh, he was a, a, obviously a Manchester United player. Um, and then a, a junior school at Seymour Road in Clayton. Um, the teachers uh, there, the the enthusiasm was fantastic. One of my teachers lived in Wigan. He had no car, of course, I'm talking the 1950s. Saturday morning, he would get the train and come and mark the pitch out with sawdust and so on um Mr. Smith, he was was called, and, uh, and he looked after all the lads. I'm very pleased to say, and it was because my dad's prompting, when we got to the European Cup final, I sent him a ticket, uh, you know, to go to Wembley and um, pay him back just a little bit for all he did for us uh, at Seymour Road. And, he, and did he go? Oh, yes, he went, yeah. Oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, he wrote me a letter thanking me <laughs> very much. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, We've mentioned your dad a couple of times, so should we talk about him a little bit? Yes, because obviously fine. If podcast has existed, yeah. his, he would have done one. I'm sure at yeah. some point, and yeah. we don't have a lot, We don't have any footage I, yeah. I know of that exists. Yeah. But over 250 games for United, he yeah. won the championship. He won yeah. the FA Cup. Yeah. and he was a left
2: back, right? He was a left back. He was. Um, his beginning at Manchester United sounds so archaic. It's one of these stories where. Somebody, I know you'll believe me, but there's many a people who who'll put a doubt against this, but it's absolutely true. After the war, he was in the Royal Marines and he fought his way through Italy with the Marines. And then right at the end of the war, he was sent to Australia. He came back to Manchester and he was a part of a junior club at United that were called Mujacs, M-U-J-A-C-S. And it was Manchester United Juniors. And he, they were a very successful team. Then he goes into the Marines, goes to Australia and comes back. Matt Busby had been made manager. Now, you have to imagine just after the war, nobody knew Matt Busby as such. You, you had to be in football to, to, to know the name. And my dad was an engineer and he thought, I'll go down and have a word with this new manager, see what he thinks. And this is the part that I think he told me, and it's unbelievable because he'd been in Australia. He was, he'd kept fit in the Marines, and he was, he was suntanned and so on. And he goes into Matt Busby's office here in Old Trafford. That the the ground was derelict; it was bombed. They, they couldn't play here. And he says, uh, "All right, son." So he played in the New he said, you look a big fit lad to me, you can play in the reserves on Saturday. So he had had a game for the, his opening game was for the Manchester United reserves because they had no players, you know. And uh, mm. and that's how he, his very first game for the senior thing was because he'd just popped in and Matt Busby thought he looked Just fit. by chance. Just by chance. There was no fitness test, nothing. He had a suntan and that was good enough. And <laughs> they thought, well, you know, off you go. So um, that started a very long career uh, with United. Unfortunately, dad fell ill to TB and had a lung out in about 1950, 51. Um, the club offered to send him to Switzerland to to get treatment or to Wales. And because it was near for the family to visit, he chose to go to Abergele in Wales I One of my earliest memories of dad and you'll have to forgive him when I say this because nobody knew these things at the time but typical of him when he was due to go to Abigail we we had a shop and two ambulance men turned up said to my mum his wife we called Mr Aston and my mum said he's just gone on the bus. And he got on the bus to to Abigail. Well, it's a bit of a no-no, you know, because like that's it it was spread by breathing on people. You know, (laughs) you you caught it off your breath. But he didn't know that, of course. And he he wasn't going to wait around for ambulances and have any treatment like that. You know, no players in those days had cars. So he made his own way on a bus there.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
2: Mm. Was that the end of his career at that point? Oh, absolutely the end of his career. He he finished and... um, he got a test. I think he was the very first player at United to get a testimonial. Uh, Matt Busby off- offered him a testimonial, and he, he sort of um, it was a, an older team, players who just retired playing the first team, and there was forty odd thousand there um, for for that testimonial um, at Old Trafford. So, yeah, the club looked after him uh, in in that respect. What was it like growing up in Clayton? Clayton, it was great because everybody played football. Yeah. And you didn't, like, I've got grandkids now and, and you watch kids play and you've got to have a kit on. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to have a kit. All you needed was a ball. And off you go on what we call the Croft, which was a, a derelict area of shale. And you put two coats down and, and off you go. And it. and it produced. I'll tell you what, we, we produced a lot of good footballers uh, in Clayton. Lads who played in the lower leagues, some of them. One or two went to City and, and places like, well, they weren't in the lower leagues then, but uh, Macclesfield and places like that. And um, it was a, a bit of a hotbed of soccer, really. And uh, did you go and watch your dad a lot? I can remember watching him. I can remember watching him break his arm here. He was playing left back. And he broke his arm and he came out on the second half, I think as a winger with his arm in a sling, and he, he played with a broken arm all the second half. And then he, he told me afterwards, that we had a, a physio called Ted Dalton at the time. And he, he had to be helped having a shower because he was one-handed and then he had to be helped getting dressed. And um, he's walking out of the dressing room and Ted Dalton says to him, where are you going, Johnny? He said, "Ancoats Hospital." And he, was, he was going to get the bus to Ancoats. <laughs> Just hang on a minute, and we'll get you somebody. Get you somebody to give you a lift. You know, and that's the sort of bloke he was. Um, I mean, if you look at me and listen to me, and you can imagine a polar opposite. That's my dad. He was a bit of a hard man, and I'm a bit mm. like my mum. I'm a bit of a softy, you know. Um, but he, he was a very hard bloke. Uh, he used to do a lot of boxing in the army and stuff like that, and. Um, getting on the bus with a broken arm would be natural to him, you know. Yeah. Were you both left-footed? Both left-footed, yeah. Yeah. Um, I inherited that off him anyway. Uh, he he was a left-back, but come centre-forward, he, he was in the England team. And in those days, of course, England played far fewer matches and he lost his place by being put to centre-forward here. I can't remember. I think it was Jack Rowley got injured um, and and... Matt Busby said to him, You know, do you fancy a go up front, John? And he went up and he scored quite a few goals as well, playing, uh, putting himself about, which he would do. <laughs> I re- so
0: I read this and I thought, That seems, that doesn't seem, maybe that's wrong. I, I read it, it, just said, He was a left back. Sometimes centre-forward. Forward, yeah. That seems such a strange yeah, drive. Yeah,
2: yeah. no, it, it was necessity for the club. I mean, my dad would have done anything for this club anyway. If he'd have said, go to the tickets and take the tickets as they come in as well, he'd have done it, you know. But uh, he was happy to, to, to do what he had to, yeah. How would you have done getting lobbed up front? You'd give it a go, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you <Yeah, laughs> oh, yeah, right. Absolutely, right. of course you would. you give
1: yep. it a go, 100%. Yeah. As long as you give uh, 100%. Yeah. Nobody can uh, can, can question you. How did, um, how, did your, uh, how did your route
2: to Manchester United come about? Well, I think, and I hope I don't get the uh, FA inspectors on me, I was the first lad, because my dad was a scout here, and they changed the rules, you could sign schoolboys, which is nothing like signing schoolboys yeah. now. You could sign when you were 14, I think. Yeah. There was no money involved, of course. And the, I signed when I was 14. And was, you now, playing, was you playing for a local team? I, I you know, was playing was, for school, right. a, school and, and, and a local team. But you weren't allowed to play for the club as well. It was you, you had to be on their books. But I actually played, he said, I'll get you a game in the B team, which for those who don't know, is the fourth team yeah. here. And somebody showed me the programme recently and it's there. I can't I can't remember. I think we played against the Berry or somebody at the Cliff. And I'm down as Acton, A-C-T-O-N, instead of A-S-T-O-N. <laughs> he, he put the he put the wrong name down for me so I could have a game. The actual uh, programme? Oh, yeah. It's in the United programme, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, because the, they always used to have a bit yeah. about the juniors. Yeah, I yeah. don't know if they still do. So that was my very first game for United. Then I struggled to get signed. I was a little bit small for my age. And... Um, is it okay to go on about myself? Yeah, that's my, dad, yeah, that's the entire yeah.
1: point yeah, of yeah, why we're here. Oh, about you? Yeah, yeah,
2: me I thought I thought I was doing alright and I'd get signed, but I didn't. And my dad I, I couldn't get a game in the B team. I was an amateur. I wasn't signed or anything. Yeah. They, they wouldn't sign me. So my dad sent me to Everton to have a trial there. And I played two games for Everton and they said, Yeah, we want him as an apprentice. So my dad came into to work. He'd been in office like like this, and uh, Busby called him in about something, and he said, "Oh, probably called him Matt." He said, "Oh, by the way, Matt John is signing for Everton tomorrow." He said, "You what?" Well, Busby had seen me play, and he he, he must have been crafty because I, you know, with all due respect, I don't believe what he said next. He he said, "I uh, sure." He said, yeah, "Yeah, they're signing him." He said, "His uh, apprentice is fifteen. And Matt said, "I thought he was 18. That's why I didn't sign him." You know, wow. so so he said, "Bring him in tomorrow, and he'll sign." And that's how I came to sign for the club. It was just an off the cuff remark that I was off to Everton, and and I still think to this day, Busby winged it. You know, I think yeah. I think he thought, "Well, if this lad does anything, it ain't going to look good with his dad being here and him doing okay at Everton." Can you believe that
1: your dad's gone in two chance conversations with Samat? Yeah. Sir Matt.
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: your
0: dad then ends up playing for United. Said, yeah, And you end up playing for United. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Yeah. I yeah.
0: wonder, do you think we should give your dad more credit? Do you think he knew what he was doing? Do you think he was saying well, it to, well, to sort of force his hand, like if you're going to do it, you've well, got to do it now? Uh, that
2: wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all, but um and I think in my heart, I think you're probably right, yeah. Makes sense to me.
0: Absolutely. So, just so, so around this era, cuz you were you were what 15 at this point. Yeah. So that would have been what 62 something like that yeah so a few years before when you were 10 in february 1958 yeah your dad was he working for the club still no
2: no my dad had finished it as as i said before he he had uh, he had tb and that that finished him the club looked after him we we got a sports shop in clayton uh where where we're from and um he was doing that and then of course the the munich thing happened and uh he just said oh i'm going down to see can i help out and and that's how he came to be at the club uh, okay. from you know from from that i think obviously uh matt so matt busby wasn't there at the time and um he was in hospital jimmy was here, was jimmy murphy and uh afterwards i think i don't know if it, 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 it probably Jimmy he said you know i want you to stay on john yeah and, uh, and he, that started his career, his, his second career. Here, yeah.
0: What are your memories of that, and finding out that the plane had crashed and everything that followed?
2: It's it's really very strange. I was ten. I was at junior school, not even senior school. And I'll tell you what. They, I'll tell you why it's very strange for me. And and I never realised this till till I'd finished playing football. I was in my mid thirties, because you come to a club and you're with your mates. Like, you you look up to some of them because they're senior than you and things like that. But I remember it being 10. It it, it was devastating. It it was awful. I mean, that's all you can say. But 10 years after Munich, I was playing in the European Cup final. My life had doubled from 10 to 20. and But I'm still a very young man. And I'm playing with Charlton, Billy Foulkes, Shea Brennan, Harry Gregg was here. Lads, uh, lads who, and probably more, who, who were involved with the club either at Munich or in Munich, I never gave that a thought. I it didn't. I, I was a part of the team. i you know, I've got mm. things to do, and I remember being at home when I finished, and I thought, blow me, in heck, you know, how much of that have been for Bobby, you know, and and and, and what have you. Uh, to, to win that just only ten years after to me it was a long time, because like I said, my life had doubled from ten to twenty, but for those lads, it must have been it must have been haunting them yeah. you know, but um anyway that's that's how it was, so
0: yeah. Alex Stepney told us that he felt in that dressing room there was like an unspoken atmosphere about mm. Munich, yeah did you feel that
2: oh yeah, it was never. It was never mentioned um, as such. I was very privileged in some things in my career that they, they're to do with football on a tentative basis. They're not to do with playing matches. They're not to do with, with stuff like that. But I used to room with Bobby at times and whether they put him with me to look after me or whatever, I don't know. And he never used to speak about it. And then one day we sat in the hotel room and out of the blue, he said, you know, Johnny, and he was looking a bit ponderous, and I said, what, what, Bob? And he said, a day never goes by when I don't think of those lads. And I thought, gee, it sounded very profound, you know, I thought, you know, I can't believe that. And he also, and then he, he went off onto a little thing, and it was all, to, now I'm speaking about it, it comes to mind, there was an article about Duncan Edwards, and he put the paper down and he said, he's the only player that made me feel inadequate. Uh, so that Duncan Edwards must've been some guy, you know, if you make mm. Bobby feel inadequate. So yeah, it's, um, so that, that's my memories of Munich. A lot of it came after I'd, I'd finished playing, a lot of the thoughts about it, as I hope I've explained.
0: So we'll go. We'll go back to where we were before then. And you're mm. you're joining Manchester United yeah. now. You're signing. Yeah. What were your first conversations with Sir Matt like?
2: Well, welcome, sign, Here he was always to do that. <laughs> I think that was the first conversation I had with him. Matt Busby, because of of things, when my dad played, Matt Busby was a tracksuit manager. He was one of the first, and then he became more of a. he was a strange. It was very strange to be in his presence sometimes because. He used to come in the dressing room, say, on a Friday afternoon or a Friday lunchtime when when you finish and he was going to say the team. And he might come in behind you or, you know, you didn't know he was there, but you knew he was there. You could feel his presence. And the dressing room, because everybody's doing what I'm doing now, chatter, 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 and it used to go quiet. It used to be like being in church, you know, yeah. and you're waiting for him to speak, waiting for him to say something, waiting for him to give you the team. And he, he had this aura, this presence. There's lots of things in life you can measure. We, we can measure a mile. We can measure a pint in the glass. But he had something about him that you couldn't measure. You just felt it, and and that's that's what Busby was like to me. You know, yeah.
0: Was your relationship with him like that all the way through, or did it develop and did it develop and change as as long as you were at the club? Well, I,
2: w- I was very much a junior player to to a lot of the lads in the club, and. Really, you didn't I didn't want to speak to him and I'll tell you why, I'm, along with all the other junior players, because on a Friday we didn't used to train at Old Trafford, we we trained at Manchester Ship Canal Ground or, or wherever, down the road here. So but Friday we all turned up here and you would walk round the pitch and then he'd come down the tunnel which was in the middle of the pitch then and he'd have his pipe going, you know, and he'd puff, 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 and he'd, he You thought, Don't speak to me, don't speak to me because He'd speak to Bobby, speak to Billy Foulkes, speak to Harry Gregg, Alex Stepney, all the senior pros. But if he spoke to you, it was to tell you he wasn't playing. <laughs> so he'd so he, come, and he always started the same, hey, Johnny, hey, Johnny, and he had, he, he never lost his Scottish brogue and I, I can't imitate him, but hey, Johnny, uh, uh, how do you think you're playing? And you knew what you had to say. Yeah. Not very well, bossy. <laughs> 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 Good to be doing better. Well, I, I'm going to leave you out tomorrow, son. And so you didn't want to speak to him actually when you were a junior player, but he was this figure of tremendous uh, authority, really. For I mean, respected by everybody.
1: That's similar to, to Alex. Yeah. You just didn't want Kiddo to come in and pop yeah. his head around the corner and go, Gaffer wants to see, see you. Yeah. Little curly finger. Yeah. Because you knew he yeah. was going to say, listen. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You're not playing today, Paul. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I know. It's. Uh, it was the dreaded thing, like yeah. they say, or you know, um, the dreaded word. But obviously, you know, you tried to walk past him very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever
1: feel when you started playing for United that you was in the shadow of your dad, or you had to prove
2: something? Yeah, I think it was oh, burden's not the right word. It, it it had it was problems. I had problems because I wasn't the only kid here at 16, and hmm. 17 and eighteen, and nineteen. And if I was getting on. Like quite a few of the others would think, oh, that's Johnny's son. Yeah, but it was Busby that was putting me in the team, not my dad. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was something I had to fight really uh, to to fight against, which I think gave me a bit of backbone, to be honest. Um, so, in the end, it was a it was a good thing for me for my, for my character, if you like. What was life as an apprentice? Well, <laughs> did you have did you
1: have pros to look after? clean, boots to clean. Oh, we had
2: all the boots to clean. Did all you have specific
1: boots... pros to look after? No, no,
2: no, uh, no, we had specific jobs, like, a good job was, doing, like, we had a lad here, Johnny Fitzpatrick, who played in the first team, and, and, he, he used to love, go. Oh, he used to get older, because he's from Aberdeen, John, he used to give Dennis Laws a special brush, you know, and, uh, and, and that sort of stuff. But, being an apprentice here, we used to, I don't know if you guys know the Manchester Ship Canal, it's two or three miles up the road, and, mm-hmm. If you was a if you was a senior pro, you used to get in your car and drive, but they weren't allowed to tech the pros. And God knows what would happen with health and safety today, because we used to go now, when you think of the names, just let me say myself first, because I played in the first team, David Sadler, George Best, Jimmy Rimmer, all these lads who went on to make very good careers here and we used to jump over the wooden railings here and run up the railway line because it was about a mile it was Short. about a mile shorter. <laughs> but we, but that, that wasn't the thing. When you was all going up, and we didn't really run, we'd be walking on the sleepers and that, all of a sudden there was a specific noise and it was tsss, and you knew there's a train coming. Because you could hear it on the lines, so you all stood. Be, you all st- you had about two yards to stand back, and you'd all put your arms out like that. And the the train would be going past you at sixty mile an hour. Uh, you, your shirts would be blowing and stuff like that. And then, the, and, and then I thought, God, you know, like, well, n- not that George Best's life's more valuable than anybody else's, but but there was a million pounds worth today of yeah. talent doing that. You know, like <laughs> trying to get up to uh, to the ship canal to to. Take part in training. Was it worth the shortcut? Absolutely, because because one thing we had. See, we were all child. We're all children of the '60s, the 1960s. There was tremendous camaraderie. Bath after training, singing all the latest Beatles, Rolling Stones, uh, swinging blue jeans, all all the latest song. The bath water would go cold. I don't, think that, I don't think they have... I think they have individual baths yeah. now, but there'd be about 15 of us in one bath at the cliff and somebody would start singing. Then everybody would join in. The water used to go absolutely cold while there. And the camaraderie was fantastic uh, at the cliff, yeah. All those lads. Do you ever go down to the cliff? Uh, it's quite a while since I've been there. It's, yeah. The it's bath's still there. Uh, yeah. I presume it's the same
1: bath as yeah. well. We all had. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, and 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 like the difference, we my dad organised lunches at the cliff, and a bloke used to come in his van, and we all used to carry big tin pots of mashed potato and pie <laughs> upstairs so we could all have lunch. Uh, yeah, so it was a bit different than it would be today. There was no there was no special diet. No. <laughs> Get as much as you can. <laughs> what 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 was your pre-match meal? Well, I used to make I made the same mistake as most people did. I used to have a steak. Yeah. Now my understanding was. That just after the war, Moscow Dynamo toured Britain and 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 they beat most of the good like Wolverhampton Wonders was a very good team with Billy Wright and so on, and they beat and they couldn't believe that these lads had a steak before the game, uh, and that made it popular in Britain. But of course, like steak does you no harm if you're playing, all it does it does you no good because it, you you don't digest yeah. it in time. So I was just on the cusp at united and then when i went to luton um that the the science had become a bit a little bit better so i'd eat carbs you know cornflakes or something or something like that yeah i love that
0: <laughs> i love that i wonder because your dad played for the club yeah uh, and that was your upbringing when you were in the in still in sort of the youth part of your career yeah. and you were cleaning players' boots and stuff and you mm. mentioned someone was had a special brush for Dennis Law yeah. and also what Bo- uh, Sir Bobby said about mm. nobody made him inferior except yeah. for Duncan Edwards. Yeah. What was your view of people like Bobby Cholton? Because I suppose a Manchester United first team player is the most normal thing in the world to you because that's what your dad yeah.
2: was. Yeah, well my impression of Bobby is that basically what you're asking me, isn't it? I think yes, oh, sort of, I yeah. I can tell you a story about Bobby that Involves football in a way, but it, it's remarkable. And you've got to understand you got to understand—it was in the days before the internet and stuff like that. And some of the some of the tours we had when we used to—it wasn't like United now. They'd be playing stellar teams. We was in Austria playing a team called Klagenfurt which is, I don't know if you can picture Austria, but it's like a sausage of a country, and Klagenfurt's at one end and Vienna's at the other. And we stayed in what I can only describe as a commercial class hotel, as again, there were, money wasn't about if we were united in those days. And on, in the reception area was a daily telegraph. And Some, some um, rep had left it there, And it was about two days old, this Daily Telegraph. And we go in the room and he starts reading it, Bobby. And he becomes, he he becomes apoplectic. He's going, well, (laughs) I said, what's the matter, Bob? And he's pointing at it. So he goes out of the room without being able to get his words out. And he he goes and sees the boss, Matt Busby. So he comes back and he starts packing his stuff in his case. And I said, God, what's happened? And then, he's he's pointing to this article. Now, this would be about 1967, just after the World Cup. And Lev Yashin, the great Russian goalkeeper, was having a testimonial. And I I looked it up later. There was over 100,000 at this testimonial. And it it invited players from everywhere, from Spain, Hento, Di Stefano, Pelli was going. All these great players were going. And he tried to get hold of three World Cup winners, and they'd all refused to go. Russia being what it was then, is like it is now. And Bobby got a car, let's presume a taxi, went from Klagenfurt under his own steam to Vienna, got a flight to Moscow, and then he came back. We'd moved at the time, we was in Germany, I think Frankfurt or somewhere, Landed at Frankfurt and I'll never, ever forget because I was rooming with him. And he came in the room and he put his case down. And I said, good trip, Bob. And he said, Johnny. He said, I have never been so embarrassed in my life. So I said, what's the matter, Bob? (laughs) He said, well, he said we had the, he said the big crowd. He said they had a fantastic reception for Lev Yashin afterwards. And he said, everybody had a present except me because all the FAs had sent, and I I was only 20, and I didn't like saying, you've given the best present of all, Bob. You've gone yourself, you know. But that's the sort of, that is the sort of man, not football, that's the sort of man Bobby Charlton was in his uh, top draw, you know. So of your teammates in that era, Mm -hmm. who was the best? Well, it depends what day you ask, really. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, I would say that, The the greatest individual I've seen is George Best because he'd be absolutely fantastic to Dave if he wasn't being hacked down. Dennis was sharp like a razor, but for the whole package, the whole—it's not that he was a better footballer because you can't. It's like differentiating between three great artists. My favourite is 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 Bob because this club—I mean, he's not a Mancunian born, but he's a Mancunian. By right now, and and this club means so much to him, and and um, he really is he, he really is you know, I I would say if you cut Bobby in half he'd bleed red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you remember your debut? Yeah, against Leicester. Yeah, it it was a surprise for me that because, uh, Dennis Dennis Law had. Uh, miss three uh, or he was going to miss three or three or four games so it was my fourth or fifth attempt at playing mm. every time he proved proved to be fit so I just came I thought that's the norm and uh, I just turned up at Dave we used to go to a place called Davey um golf yeah, club yeah. For, for a pre-match meal I went there and they told me I was playing just a couple of hours before the game so what did you uh, think nervous did you get nervous before any games I, I, no, not. I only got footballer nervous. Yeah. I didn't get frightened nervous. I got because you've got to get nervous to be on your yeah. toes, haven't you? So yeah. I was footballer nervous, and 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 I suppose looking forward to it. So and I didn't have time. Whether whether that was done purposely, I was told that. I, I was told that probably five o'clock, at half past five, that I'm playing at, Oh, It was a, it was a day game. I was probably told at uh, two o'clock, you know, half past one, that I'm yeah, playing yeah. at three o'clock. So I didn't have time. Didn't to, have time. No. And was your dad there? Yes, yeah, he came down, yeah. That must be a proud moment. Yeah, yeah, that was a, it was a big moment for all of us, really. And, and we won the league that year. Um, and I can remember, I can't remember that many games, but I do remember that. It was a 1-0 victory uh, for United. So, um. How much of an influence was your dad on you? Oh, very much, I think. Um, I think he was a 90% for, for the good, and I think I think there was a ten percent that held me back a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. It it was it was like old school. I had to be very respectful to to other players, like uh, senior players. When yeah. I was an apprentice, I had to go and ask, go, go and see, Bill. Does he want anything? You know. Uh, and, and so on. So it made me a little bit subservient, I think, to mm-hmm. instead of being, being a, I certainly wasn't a cocky lad or anything like that. And um, perhaps if I was a bit more like that, that might have been better for me. But but overall, yeah, no, he, he taught me pretty well. Did you have any uh, brothers or sisters? I've got t- two sisters, yeah. Yeah. Well, they don't they, play. They don't they play. Don't play. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're retired. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you remember the point that you felt? That's it, I've made it. I'm part of the first team. I'm, I'm here, I'm in the team, and you weren't waiting for someone like Dennis Law to yeah. not pass a fitness test.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's strange now because football, it, it's, gone, it's gone a bit of a, a, a circle. I, I noticed, I know when my dad played, because of the war, all these players seemed to be mature. They'd be 23, 24, 25. And it's not quite like that now. But I, I, I'm watching the TV, and sometimes they'll say, could be for any team, there's Bill. He, he's only 21. 20. Well, if he wasn't in the team when you were 21 here, when I was here, or you weren't knocking on the door very loudly, you weren't going to get in. Yeah. You had to get in quick. You know, you was uh, uh, as a junior, really, junior member. So um, I think... Like I say, it's gone. they allow lads to mature more now, uh, probably. And what was your memories about your first goal? First goal for United? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Talk us through it. Well, I always remember, um, I think it was a, a centre from the right and I was going to hit it first time and I actually... Trapped it with my right foot. The defender had, had nicked in to try and block the shot that he, he yeah, thought yeah, was yeah. coming, and it ended up as a side foot from about eight yards. So, uh, yeah. So it, it's instinct, isn't it? I mean, if you do these things, you 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 do it by instinct, because really. Yeah. And then yeah. more and more came. Goals? Well, yeah. Well, there weren't that many, but. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to. I, I was really a maker of goals more than a, a, a scorer. I mean, I scored quite a few, but um, I used to actually enjoy setting people up. Setting people up, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a pleasure to me that it was. What I thought, you know, I thought it was my job really. Yeah. What sort of players?
1: Obviously, the senior players. Did anybody particularly take you under your wing, under the wings?
2: Dennis was always very kind. I mean, he was um, very fiery, fiery. Were you in four of them? No, I don't think because I saw I was with them every day yeah. you know um, I don't think I was I respect I was, I was careful of them um, people like Harry Gregg they'd get hold he'd get hold you by the scruff of the neck if you if was being a bit cheeky and so on and uh, so no I, th- I think I was not in all, but I was very respectful of as we are. It's not a thing for me. It was all the junior players were yeah. like that. Uh, Brian Kidd was like it, and and so. But Brian had tremendous confidence in his own ability as well. You know, any nights out, any night out with them, or oh, just the odd one or two. I wasn't a big night. I wasn't a big goer out to, to be honest. But we used to go to. Uh, well, there was plenty of dance places in Manchester. You must have some nights, nice,
1: nice, some good nights, though, with Georgie Best.
2: Oh well, George. Yeah, I mean, he was <laughs> a bit mercurial. I think is the word. He used to have two or three nights out in one. George, he used to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when he was abroad and, and so on. I, I, the first nights out I had with George was in um, was in Switzerland. We went on the youth team, and we'd gone out, and he started drink. Well, we, I wasn't drinking. I mean, we well, we drinking soft drinks. But we, me and a lad called Billy Anderson, we three of us in one room together, Billy Anderson who played here and went his, uh, went to Aston Villa and we sort of, an elbow each we had on George and we were playing in the tournament the next day and I remember thinking, that's you finish, Paul, you'll never, you'll never, and I think he, he, he got up the next morning, was sick and then went out and got the man of the tournament <laughs> in the Blue Stars tournament in Switzerland, yeah. He, he was just, he was just so good at, at, at what he did. I mean, he had no weight on him and he, he used to train, he, he used to be late, we, we, we were training one day at the cliff and we were doing just some warming up exercises and he came late, 15 minutes after everybody else, put his kit on, came out and uh, he always shut me up. I, I was there and I was doing my exercises and I said, come on, George, some of us train. And he looked at me and said, some of us need to. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: so, very good. Yeah. Very good.
2: Yeah. Did you get on well with him, though? Yeah, he was, honestly, he was, he was a really nice lad. He was a really nice lad who couldn't handle his fame. And, and the problem was that nobody could handle his fame. I, I mean, like, if you look at the people who were at the club, Busbys and the Murphys, my dad and so on like that. It's not long ago to them that they were getting shot at and things like that. And and a, yeah. a footballer getting drunk wasn't really, well, it was important, but it, it wasn't something you you would say, God, why must I get this lad sorted out? I mean, there were people coming out of the forces with problems who never got sorted out. And and I don't think they had the, the, um, the background, you know, to, to be able to handle them really. You mentioned...
1: 10 years after Munich, the European Cup. Yep. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about that. Yeah. Talk us through that season and how it all developed to become such an
2: iconic night for Manchester United. Well, obviously, we had a good season. <laughs> we won the league. Um, I think, in, I, I certainly think in those days, there was a more equal sort of equilibrium, if you like, of, of teams what's the same today is a top team playing a bottom team in the in the premier league there's nothing certain but it was less certain in those days there was a great sort of sort of equality of of, of teams and and you sort of just had to to be at your best to to get on top the thing about the european cup final was was I've spoken that I was a young lad who, who not long after the cup well I broke my leg and and then I'd finished at the club, and and were one or two other lads like Johnny Fitzpatrick and and Jimmy Ryan, who, who we were okay players, we are decent in you know, and and in a decent team. But there were older players like Bobby and Nobby and and, and Billy Folks and Harry Greg finished, and and I think it was it was Busby's last hurrah. It was it was his last chance to win it. And I think it's almost like it was predestined that that we won that we won it for him, you know, um, or that he won it, because the the club was on a bit of a slide straight away afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bit of a, I think, a, and, and I felt it although I was on my way out. It, it was like a, a deflating balloon. We've done it with this almost holy grail of the European Cup, which Busby was the first. English uh, yeah. club manager to, to go in for. And he went in against the FA route, you know, the, the FA didn't want us to play in it. Um, and I felt it was like a balloon being pricked and it, it went down pretty quickly, you know, from being from being at the party. Yeah. What can you remember about the day, the night, the build-up? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we... The build-up was terrific. We we stayed in a, a, a place in Egham in, in London and... Um, I always thought we were going to win it. I, I was pleased we were playing Benfica, who were a good footballer, so you'd, they'd beaten Juventus in the in the semi, and so and because it was at Wembley, and because of United, and 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 I thought, well, we're going to win this. Um, we're going to win it, and afterwards, uh, we had a we had a celebration. due. but Bobby Charlton and I think it was Harry Gregg. I'm not sure there's anybody. They never went, they just disappeared into the rooms. They couldn't, it must have been so emotional for them, you know, um, and, and they couldn't take, they must have had so many memories that they mm. couldn't take the, um, the, the aftermath of it, really. Yeah. What do you remember much about the game? I remember, like one or two people said, well, it wasn't much of a first half and it passed like a flash to me. Mm. It passed in an absolute flash. And the key moments were. How many times have you watched the game back? Once. Yeah. So somebody asked me that, and I said, "I've never, I've never seen it." And, and when like, was that? Oh, about three or four years ago.
1: What's your emotion like when you're actually watching the game back? Because you actually got man of the match in the game. Do you mm. think? How oh, did I get man of the match in that game, or do you think? Yeah, I played well that game. Well, yeah.
2: I mean, I mean, there was no man of the matches trophies and that there, but by. If, if I dare say, like common consent, they said I was. It was I was man of the match, but so that's one of the reasons I didn't look at it because I thought, bloody hell, you know, I don't fancy being watching that. And if it wasn't that good, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd rather than people tell me it was. So, uh, and I think, eh, I think that's why I never watched it. And, and and people say to me, do you ever watch it? And I always say, well, I know what the score was anyway, so it doesn't matter. I know I played well. And there's one really. Um, if you if you ever see it, there's one really amusing to me and it was pointed out to me by Brian Kidd They said because they call me Asto look at Asto what's he doing and I think it was the third goal in, and they all the goals came very quickly and who was it who scored George scored and it was Bobby Charlton scored and I'm outside left the goal is obviously happening in the middle of the middle of the field and they they run to the corner flag and they're all jumping on and I'm walking back on, uh, by myself and I'm looking over like this and I can remember what I was thinking. I thought, silly buggers, it's not over yet. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Uh, why that's you can, well, Yeah, that <laughs> was my thoughts at the time. I thought, you know, we've got to defend now. We've got to defend. And, and I was, that's how I was, I can quite clearly remember that. Uh, and because uh, if you watch it, it does look funny. It, it looks as all I'm <laughs> a spectator. So it looks like I'm a specie who's just walking down the field. You know, uh, no emotion at all. No, uh, and but it was because I was thinking. You know, I was. I yeah, no, it, yeah. It? yeah. And when you so you watched that back, and you said that was
0: pointed out to yeah, you. Yeah. But a group of you uh David Sadler and Paddy and Alex Stepney and you watched watch it together for a special from u t v yeah uh, was it nice doing that, and
2: do you all sort of keep in touch to some extent or another um well we he, he, most of us we we have nights at you know the nights at uh, at old trafford when old boys and and so on yeah was it nice watching it yeah it was it, it was quite i find it very i find it strange because um the thing that that when you when you're watching yourself, I mean it's ridiculous, you, you think you could still do it. And it's like I think I'm at the end of this month I'll be seventy five and honestly, you can laugh if you want. I think I'm young until I look in the mirror. And then I think who the hell's that? You know? <laughs> So it, you you don't ever lose that. I think when you play football or, or or something, you you never lose that thing that you're a kid. You know that you, you that you're still the same. And your dad was on the bench. As dad well. was on the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as a um, sub,
0: as a not as a coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he wasn't
2: a sub. No, uh, yeah, he was on the bench. That must have been so special. Yeah, it was a big night for for him. I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah and he wasn't I think I, I remember him walking in and he gave me a quick hug that lasted about two seconds because he wasn't uh, he wasn't into hugging you know he wasn't that sort of bloke so uh but it was it was nice for me and it was it was great for him and and my mum as well of course yeah the
0: you talked about maybe the impact it had on the likes of Harry Gregg and Robbie Chalmers and they yep. disappeared a bit afterwards. But pre-match and at half time and at full time, what was Sir Matt's role in all of this? Did he give you big team talks? Did he talk about the opportunity to win it? How did he mention Munich or how close the team would come before or no, anything it, like that? It,
2: no, Munich was never mentioned. But he, he he sort of his team talks were very very simple. The he, he would say to somebody like let me use the word Smith, Smith, the ball player, right, Nobby, take care of him. That was, you know, it's uh, to me, he'd, he'd often say, like, it's no use It's no use trying to skin this bloke with speed, Johnny. You know, you've got to cut inside and, and so on. And so his, his philosophy, I, I think Busby's philosophy was from the early days and it wouldn't, it doesn't um, hold so much water now. But if you have 11 players and collectively they're better than the other team, mm-hmm. you've got a good chance of winning. I don't think it holds so much water now because of tactics and, and the way people can, can organise themselves. But it certainly worked in my era for that uh, that, it, that it was like that. So his team talks, were he was very straight to the point and, and there was no technicalities with him at all. Um the only time he ever asked me to do anything, apart from play on the wing, was when in the semi-final against Real Madrid, they they had a what in those days we, we you call him a midfield player now, like a wing half, and he was called Piri. He's a good player. He was box to box, as we say. He was he made things tick for Real Madrid, and uh, he came to me and he said before the oh before the Madrid game. I got the curly finger off him, you know, he said, yeah, Johnny, Johnny, uh, I want a word with you. Oh, God, he's leaving me out, you know. And then he said, uh, right, he said, uh, when Madrid have got the ball, he said, I want you to come in field and stand in front of this Piri character. So I thought, oh, great, I'm playing. And he said to me, uh, oh, Johnny, you've got to think keep thinking and I thought bloody hell I thought think and play at the same time I can't do that you know <laughs> but, but, but that that was the only sort of like the only tactics uh, very simple tactics mm. very easy to execute really um, so yeah perhaps he saw things very clearly perhaps he knew what I was like and what the other lads were like and and, and he instructed us in very simple language really.
1: You, you, you touch on one player there that unfortunately we won't be able to get him on the podcast would be Nobby Styles yeah and you say that Samat would just give him the odd nod Mm. look after him yeah yeah and alongside him would have been Paddy as well
2: do you want a little story that's very hard to believe you sat there as a footballer and I'll tell you a story that happened at Real Madrid there was 130,000 people and Nobby knocked somebody out and nobody saw it except me Is that hard to believe? He did. I've never told this story. I've told it to a friend or two, but I've never told this story because Nobby told me not to. He's passed away now, I know. But you've got to imagine the situation. There's 130,000 people and one camera in the middle of the field. There was no multiple cameras. And Madrid had a corner, comes over and... I can remember the ball bouncing and it was hoofed into the stratosphere. It bounced in, in their half. I think it was Bill Foulkes that hoofed it. And it left me at the back. i had never happened that before because as he explained a little bit earlier, I'd come back to Mark, this mm-hmm. Perry guy. In the middle was Emancio and Nobby in front of him and we're all 18 inches to two feet away from each other, walking out of the, or jogging out of the 18-yard box. And as they got to around about the penalty spot, this Amancio wrapped Nobby round the ankles with his foot. And as he came there, Nobby hit him with his, his his chin was there and he hit him (laughs) like that. It's the only time I've ever seen anybody knocked out on the football field. He, he was out. I've, I've seen people in I, I broke my leg. I was in agony. I saw David Hurd uh, Hur just down here, broke his leg. Shocking. I've been on the field when terrible things mm-hmm. have happened, but I've never seen anybody knocked out. And would you like to tell you the little story afterwards, yeah? You say what, it. What, what's happened was, the play goes down the other end of the field and Madrid take possession of the ball again. And they start to come forward and the referee to his, to his credit, turn round and sees a white, they were in white of course, yeah. sees a white figure on the floor, blows his whistle to stop the game. So two trainers run on who's not seen it. And they get there and the guy's out. They can't bring him round. So the trainers, you know, like well, what we, we call trainers. So they call for the doctor who's on the bench, the doctor looking like Cesar Romero. He came on with his suit on and eventually they got him on his feet, smelling salt. And he's like, just like a boxer, he's out. Nobby was about, when it happened, Nobby said to me, get out the way Astor, get out. So, all this happens, and then there's a crowd of players, Madrid players, and everybody's congregating around this stricken figure. They get him on his feet, and Nobby's about five or six yards away. And then, as he looks up, this is Amancio Nobby lifted his arm up, and I thought he was going to say sorry, like as a gesture. Mm-hmm. And he put his finger across his throat and went. <laughs> <laughs> like that. that boy never kicked a ball all night. And they talk about Bill Folk scoring this, that. That did as much to him as the game as anything. He was absolutely nobby on the field. If you knew him, he was a small guy. When you train with him, if you went near him, he'd jump out of the way so you didn't, you know, and he wouldn't kick to Come Saturday, let's say, yeah. come match day, contact lenses in. And the nearest thing, the nearest thing I can tell you about Nobby is Dr. Jettle and Mr. Hyde. He was Dr. Jettle off the field and he was Mr. Hyde on it. He used to change. His personality sl- well, like flicking a switch. He became cruel. He became nasty, cruel, but he was a very affable, yeah. easy-going bloke off the field, you know. But... Uh, some man, you know. Did he, uh, did he mention anything after the game or did Samat mention anything? He told me we were going off at half time and he got hold of me. Do you mean about the incident? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he got hold of me. That's why I said I've never said anything because I would respect for him. He said, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> that was his instruction So to me. this day, Samat do not even... Uh, oh, well, no, he wouldn't know. He wouldn't no, know. No, Oh my I God. I told you there was 130,000 people there all looking down at the other end of the field and nobody, it's not on television, it's not anywhere, but that happened. <laughs> and, and the game stopped, the game stopped for a long, in footballing terms, it, yeah, stopped, yeah, for, yeah. it stopped for five minutes while they brought him round. But that lad finished, it was the first half. And uh, he, did he carry on, the lad? He, yeah, they brought him round with smelling salts, like in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. was knocked out. I mean, you know, uh, oh dear, these things happen and off, off you go. Yeah, but he didn't, he never played all night again.
0: That is sensational. That's a brilliant story. Yeah. That's one of the best stories I've ever heard. Yeah. Read. <laughs> brilliant. Um, we'll head back then. So that was the semi-final. Mm. The final obviously goes to extra time. Mm. How are you feeling at that moment? Did you have any worries? Did you have any doubts?
2: I thought... I I don't know if you feel like that when you're playing doubts and, and worries and you, you, you're doing your job. It's easier to say afterwards, I thought we'd win it. I thought we'd win it before the game. And... I thought we'd lost it when you Eusebio got through and Alex made a great yeah. save. I mean, he didn't just save it, he caught the thing, you yeah. know. And I think that was, I mean, that was only two or three minutes to go. And it's written in the stars, as they say, you know. Yeah. The, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it was, I, I thought we'd win.
1: Yeah. You still got your medal?
2: No the club's got it, I think. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. 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 How
2: much does that mean to you? The medal? Yeah. Well, the winning the thing, the, the bit of metal means. No, zip, zip to me, you know. No. I mean, you know, uh, and I don't know if you like, I watch like finals now, and you get a gong around your neck if you win anything. No, it's <laughs> like a dinner plate. The, the, the medal we got, it's only oh, size of two postage stamps. That's mm-hmm. all. It's a very small thing. But I mean, that's by the by. I mean, yeah. For
0: yeah. memories. Yeah. yeah. How did you feel when the final whistle went?
2: Well, ecstatic. We're, we're all ecstatic. I mean, you know, it was. See, you can't talk about this club with, with, without the reference to, to Munich and so on. And there was only 11 players allowed, plus a goalkeeper, with Jimmy Rimmer, uh, was the sub-goal. There, there were no subs. Now, to get in an 11 on any game, do not matter if, if it's next Saturday's game, You've got to be. You've got to have a certain amount of luck because there's two or three players will be injured, you know, and you might come in through injury, and you might just miss this game because you're only injured for a week. But it's that particular game. Dennis Law missed it because I think he was in hospital having a an operation, but he played in the semi. Francis Burns, who lives in Australia now, he played in every round except the final. He played in the. He played in the first leg against Madrid here, but he didn't play in the second one. But so he played in every round. So these things are like, it's like part of life. You know, it's it's just, I don't know, destiny, luck or whatever. And and I think um, if, if it's going for you, then you're okay.
0: What are your memories of what came next when you turned up for the following season? Because I guess this is this is the era from this point that like mm. you said earlier it was the it was the pinnacle of yeah. some of those players and Sir Matt Busby's yeah. career yeah. certainly when you add on what happened yeah. 10 years before mm. I know George Best has talked when he has talked about this as though he felt like he was just getting started and wanted yeah. to win it again and again and yeah. again but for so many people just yeah. winning it once was everything
2: yeah. well I've, I, it, it was it was very different for me than most of the, the other players because the second game I broke my leg we were playing City and, and I broke my leg at Main Road. Um, I think that's that's a sort of fairly interesting thing to, to give you an idea of, of the of the um, era, is that nobody I, I, nobody gave me an ounce of help to get better. Not an ounce at the club.
0: So it was just get to the hospital, go home, do I what they to, say?
2: Well, it, it wasn't just that. I mean, I, I mean you, you get your leg in plaster and then... Six eight weeks later, it comes out of plaster. Now it's what I said before. Like people like Busby and 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 those had been through a ward and so on a broken leg, small potatoes perhaps. But I used to go to the cliff, and I used I used to I bought some weights like uh, like an old fashioned skate with some weights on to try and get me muscles going in the like. And I'll never for, ever forget. The lads were playing in the gym, five a side at the cliff. And I was in, the, there's a small, I don't know if you can picture it, a small little anteroom room as you go in, All oh, there was where there was a tractor and yeah. things like that. And I was sat on a the bench there, lifting my leg up like this, you know, like with a weight on the end. But there was some Germans down there, film crew. And he came in, I won't do a German accent, but <laughs> he said, where is the trainer? I said, he's in there playing football. No, the remedial trainer. I said, we haven't got one. And he looked at me as though I was telling lies. He couldn't, I mean, they couldn't believe that yeah. a first team player was injured and he wasn't getting specialist treatment. And like the lads had finished playing five a side. They'd all walk past me I had and do my skates on the bottom, you know, and they go, how's it going? Well, oh, not too bad, you know, it's coming. <laughs> you know, that, that was it? That was it, yeah. How um, long so you played again? Um, oh, it was right at the end of the season, then before us. Yeah, yeah, it was six months. I think. Yeah. Was that
0: was that difficult playing again? No, having that like was basically missing the season.
2: Oh yeah, I mean it wasn't. Uh, but, but things weren't going well at the club either. You know, um, the club was on a bit of a downer after, like I said, after the after the European Cup. So, and the manager had changed, obviously. And I thought uh, I was on my way out as well, so it wasn't a happy time for me at the club. And I don't think it was a happy time for the club either. Your time came to lead
1: the club. What was it like? What was that like? Was it tough? No, it wasn't. Easy decision.
2: Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I'll tell you why. Because if I if I had a strong mind about anything, I used to th- I used to see lads who played in the fourth team and the third team. And then they were released as we called it. I don't know what they call it now, but you you weren't going to be made pro. And then you'd be training and they'd come back and watch you. And I thought, I used to remember from an early age, if this club ever gets rid of me, I ain't hanging about round here. It's like wistfully and thinking Mm -hmm. what might have been and all that. I'm going to go somewhere else and have a go there. So I don't know. I suppose... Um, I suppose I was preparing myself in my own mind for it, you know. Yeah.
0: And then how did you find being at a football club that wasn't Manchester United?
2: When I was at Luton? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I went down there. I was very happy because we had a manager. He was a Manchester lad actually called Harry Haslam. And, and one thing is... He played like Manchester United, or we tried to play like Manchester United. Yeah. We weren't as good as Manchester United, but, he wanted to, but you had to enjoy yourself. And in fact, I can remember Harry, uh, the manager, he used to say, he used to come in and uh, one of his team talks, don't mind if you concede three today, lads. So long as you score four, you know. Yeah. So that was uh, and it was it was a nice, happy club. I, I enjoyed myself there.
0: Well, you pl- you ended up, even though you're only there three years, you played more league games, I think, for Luton than you did for United. Did I? And you, yeah, and you and scored that. more goals.
2: Did I? Right. Well, I mean, obviously, I was, I, I was a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Put it that way, I suppose.
0: How did you find being in the south?
2: Well, oh, I enjoyed it. I, I had this thing about. They had this thing. I used to stay in a very small village with Jimmy Ryan and his family, and uh, had a nice little pub on the on the corner. And yeah, no, I, I found them. I found people down there just nice. It's how you treat people yourself, isn't it? Mm. As well, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and then you went to Mansfield. You were there for a year, and then Blackburn.
2: Yeah, I should never have gone. Um, I was really, really struggling, and I was. I was out of breath and and I was either the best in training or the worst, you know, like trying to do physical stuff. And then one day I thought that doesn't feel right, and I went and I got an irre- I've gotten an a regular heartbeat. I still have, and that was and I was trying to play football with my heart beating at 150 times a minute or something, you know, because and it was beating all out of sync, so that's why I was getting fatigued and that. But there was no. I mean like the the medicals I, I, I'm going to exaggerate a wee bit. The medical I got was you put a mirror in front of your mouth and if it steamed up you was all right, you know. It was <laughs> <laughs> So had you always had an irregular heartbeat? No, no it just developed. They think it was um it was due to training a lot they think, but they you know they weren't not quite sure so uh, I mean I've had that that must have come to me when I was about 31. So Seventy, I'll be seventy-five in a couple of weeks. So it's uh, still going strong. Still isn't going it? strong. Yeah. yeah, that's all that matters. Still, yeah. Do you know when you look back at your
1: time at United, what? How do you How do you reflect on the time at United?
2: Well, it's great for me because it's like I've said before. My father played at United. I I managed to play for United. I supported United. And I played. I don't know I, I, if I include. I I, did, I never knew how many games I played, but it's about 180 If I include 14 or 15 yeah. subs, something like that. If somebody has said to me when I was 10, "You can play one game," I'll take it. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it means you know. It's it's me. It's my boyhood club, and and um, and it's gone through so many changes as as life does uh, the club. Now it's, it's barely recognisable physically from the stadium, from what I played in and so on. But it, no, it's, uh, it's a proverbial dream come true for me, really.
0: Yeah. Despite all those developments, when you look at the pitch, yeah. does it feel like you're looking at the same place?
2: No, it looks nothing like it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm looking up there, and mm-hmm. I can see the Stretford end. I can see people stood up, and I can see, yeah. and and the amazing thing is, is that it is much better now. I mean, it's like football's much better now. Be you know, like the, the rules are much better, the conditions are much better. But I've been playing here, when I've seen, just let me be a bit graphic and say. I've seen Bobby Charlton hit a shot that's hit the top of the bar and you're looking at the Stretford end and you can see half of the, the terrace in because people have swayed down and then they all walk backwards again to sway, light, which is by today's standards very dangerous. But yeah. but that used to happen in the time, you know, it happened all the time where, when I played.
0: Yeah, so I don't want to end, but I feel no. like yeah. maybe we've come Good. to the end. So yeah. thank, you thank you so much for sharing yeah. your stories with us.
2: Good. I've enjoyed it.
1: It's been brilliant. How brilliant was that? Do you know what we say week in, week out? Mm
0: -hmm. But I can honestly say that was amazing. Yeah. That was brilliant. I think it's players of that era because they can tell us stuff that no one else can. They were were there for iconic moments that we can't revisit without them. And there's only a few of them that are here to tell us those stories. What a brilliant... I loved it. I absolutely loved
1: it, Sam. And it's, I know I say it week in, week out, but mm. that was absolutely brilliant. What it a wonderful
0: storyteller. Absolutely. I mean, the obvious And do you know what? I bet he's got many, many stories as well. Yeah. It was like the knobby one was amazing. It was such a great story. But you have to you have to have a conversation that leads to that point yeah. because that's, then you remember stuff, right? Great story, wasn't it? That's so you, good. And do you know what? You can just picture it. 130,000 people.
1: Balls go gets cleared and you can just see young Nobby there just right hook <laughs> and knock him out and the fact that the game goes on and then the referee sees him like poleaxed wherever he was on the edge of the 18 yard box and then he just does a, the slit the throw yeah. motion
0: Brilliant. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Brilliant. But I mean, everything he told us about the 68 final and and also like his memories of being a 10-year-old Manchester United fan and talking about Munich. And that's how his dad ended up back at the club and stuff. Yeah.
1: And the father, you
0: know, 68 cup final, his dad's actually on the bench. Part of the coaching setup, absolutely amazing. It is incredible, that isn't it? Brilliant. Also, mad to think there's only eleven players, and you get the sub goalkeeper, and that's it. Because it seems that seems so mad now when you think about the number of substitutes and how big like a squad is. If you want to be successful, we talk about a squad game and yeah. having options. So to be in that, start of it 11, sounds
1: strange that you actually have as your twelfth man would be a goalkeeper. Yeah, because you think, well, you'd have another centre forward or a midfielder or a defender, but
0: certainly not a goalkeeper. So, ideally someone who could do a bit of everything including playing goal yeah I guess maybe you weren't allowed to make changes to anybody except your goalkeeper I guess that was it maybe it was like an injury substitution that's my guess we're not sure if you know no. send us an email I mean I might
1: look it up later even the, I, I do not love the stories about Samat how you wanted to avoid him on that Friday afternoon yeah. walking around the pitch try and stay away from him and then as he says in his little Scottish accent come here Sonny with his pipe you won't be playing today. You I know everyone was the gaffer. Sir Alex doing the same
0: thing he'd send kid into the dressing room he'd give you the curly finger and say the gaffer wants to see you we haven't even talked about his um, memories of Sir Bobby and of George Best and all of it but I'm sure everybody who listened is their own favourite part from that uh, honestly it's been an absolutely wonderful podcast Brilliant. and we're so glad you've listened if you want to get in touch with us you can the address is United Podcast at uk. that address is in the show notes we have had uh, some really nice messages I've had a few online um, here's one uh just got a couple of days ago. Says so, Mr. Anderson Love today's podcast with Michael Sylvester. Such an underrated player during one of our most successful periods. Although I can't believe Sir Alex picked him up from the airport. That's amazing, that isn't it? Brilliant. That's where the, the gaffer was. Then said, any chance of Juan Mata feeling emotional after his departure? It's been done. Scroll back to the back catalogue. You'll find him. We did. We did him in the middle of Manchester. It was very good. So thank you again for listening. We will see you on the next one. Have a lovely week. Take it easy.